Last week, the Toronto Raptors won three games out of three and picked up a player that could well help them in this year's playoffs. This week, they did exactly the same thing. Welcome to Balling in the Six. This is your Toronto Raptors podcast straight out of London. Today, obviously, we're going to be looking at the three wins against reasonably weak Eastern opposition, with the exception of Brooklyn, of course, who are playing out of their skins, and we'll talk more about them later. But we'll look at those three wins. We'll also look at the pickup of Jeremy Lin. He is a very popular player in Toronto right now. He got a standing ovation last night, and he, in my opinion, will be a player that will make all the difference. Let's get right into it. So, let's start with the games themselves. We started off the week with a win against the New York Knicks, as expected. There wasn't too much to take from this game. As we've seen recently, all the Raptors chipped in, the five starters all reached double figures, and we also had the resurgent Norman Powell contributing with 14 off the bench. What was interesting to look at Gasol, he looks like an excellent playmaker. If our shooters can continue to resurge their form, and continue to nail those shots he could be a very good piece come playoff time when if you get double teamed in the post you finding the op- his ability to find the open man will be crucial especially with the likes of Kawhi, Lowry, Danny Green and as we'll see Siakam as well but otherwise not too much to take from that the defense was good against this quite spirited Knicks team players like Allen for the Knicks playing extremely well Mitchell Robinson of course continuing his rise as a rookie this season what was an excellent game well and I thought would be the highlight of the week was actually the game against the Nets in which we saw a game winner from you can probably guess the player from Kawhi Leonard a turnaround bank shot in which he didn't call bank he called game interestingly enough really capped a very a, a win over you know I keep saying spirited, but these Eastern teams don't go away. They don't stop fighting right till the very end. And that's no more true than a team like the Nets. Joe Harris, shout out to Joe Harris, who hit seven from eight from behind the line. And even Alan Crabb off the bench, who went six for ten. D'Angelo Russell, who is a deserved all-star. And I'll be looking forward to watching him. I do like watching him. Part of the reason I quite enjoy the Nets-Toronto matchup is to see... Four times a year, I get to see D'Angelo Russell play now, which is, and he's one of the more, how do you say, aesthetic players in the league to watch. Extremely smooth, very exciting player to watch. He dropped 28, but in the end, the Raptors managed to pull it off. Despite some lackluster bench performances, I think this was a game where Gasol really came onto his own. He went 16 points, 7 from 9, and of course, Patrick McCaw who actually rarely scores a basket as much as he contributes in other categories. He rarely actually scores any baskets himself. So it was very nice to see him drop 13 points as we went into the Atlanta game. And did I say Atlanta? I meant Washington. And if you hadn't, it's probably all over r slash NBA, all over any basketball news, It's Pascal Siakam with 44 points. You heard that right. 
44 points. The man has doubled his scoring from last year. He is in unstoppable form at the moment. And it's not just his spin move. It's He's developed a mid-ranger. He's developed a three. He's got a jump shot. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how he continues to develop. He is, without a doubt, one of the stars on this team. If you think of last year, we would say we had three stars on the team. DeRozan, Lowry, and probably Jonas Valanciunas. Now, when you look at this lineup, you have Lowry, Ibaka, Kawhi, of course. You can probably count Gasol, of course. Gasol is an absolute beast. At five, a huge upgrade on Valanciunas, as we see. And now you can include Siakam in that. He is one of the best players in this Raptors side right now on his current form. And we said his, I think no one predicted his ceiling could go this high. And it will be phenomenal and very interesting to see how much he can develop in the future. The Raptors managed to pull it off, of course, 129-120, despite being down in the second and third quarter. We also saw the introduction of one Jeremy Lin. This is a player who, of course, played extremely well against the Raptors twice this season for the Hawks. And now he's turning out in a Raptors jersey, much to the delight of the city of Toronto. He got a standing ovation, a well-deserved one. And he dropped eight points in his 25 minutes, also picked up five rebounds and five assists. And I was very interested to see his link up with Kyle Lowry. There was a couple of really nice plays where one assisted the other. And essentially, this man has played probably one or two training sessions. He said in an interview after he only knows knows three of the Raptors plays. He only knew three before he went into that game. And yet, he seamlessly integrated into the system, as has Marc Gasol, incidentally. So... I mean, this is an episode with nothing but positivity. And to end on another positivity, I want to end on the form of Kyle Lowry. He, after an explosive start, was really been criticised by myself included uh, over the last couple of months, especially the December and January stretch. But he's had a really good February. He's not only diming, but now he's scoring. He's proving to be reliable from the three. Let's just see this last week. He hit 5 from 7 behind the arc against the Nets, 3 from 7 against Brooklyn, and 4 from 10 against Washington. And of course, last week, as we know, he hit 5 from 9 against Philly. Now, those aren't, you know, monumental numbers. Those aren't Steph Curry numbers. But what they are is their show Lowry return to form and almost re-adds that weapon to his arsenal. We know he can dime. We know he's a floor general. We know he leads the team. Not only in the locker room, but outside. But what else can he do now is he's returned to his scoring form. And I think that will only be a boon come playoffs. We now, of course, hit the all-star break. And six in a row, you don't want to lose that momentum. But of course, it's a good, it's always a good break. We're going to see two Raptors playing in it, of course. Lowry and Kawhi Leonard. And after Siakam's recent form, you'd think he... You wouldn't be surprised if he was a late call-up if there was any sort of injury. But I think we can be fairly happy with the two playing and it will give the rest of the team a rest going into the final couple of months as they continue to challenge 
a a Bucks team really on form, a Bucks team which keep on winning. In the next section, what we're going to do is look at the rookie class. It's more of a feature piece and we're going to look at who's performed, who's not. Of course, the Raptors didn't draft anyone this year. We've given away all our picks for quality players who can deliver now. And we've got, of course, good young players. But we're going to look at the rest of the league. We're going to look at the rookies who've really impressed us, the rookies who have failed to live up to expectations. After a wonderful week for the Raptors, it's actually been a fairly quiet week in the NBA. I think we'd all agree, with the exception of perhaps the Blazers blowing out the Warriors last night. There's not been much going on, and that's why we're going to open our series, our feature series, on the NBA. And we're going to start with the rookie class. To help me, I've recruited once again D2 basketball player, Varel. Varel, welcome to the podcast. Oh man, that introduction is never going to get old. Thank you for having me again. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, this feature feature thing we're going to get going. Um, hope uh, people like it. All right. So, um, rookie class. So, you know what? Let's let's start with the bad and then go to the good. Who's been the biggest flops in this year's rookie class? Wow. Uh, I think off the bat, anyone who hasn't played a single minute. Um, it's safe to say it's not through their fault. It's not uh, due to their, you know, mistakes or anything. But um, you've got to look at Michael Porter Jr. with the Nuggets and uh, Zaire Smith, who's been struck by the uh, Philadelphia rookie injury plague, which has happened since, I think, 2013, which is, one, it's very ironic, but two, it is, uh, sorry, it is quite unfortunate to see that because um, he did have a lot of potential. Uh, what do you think of um, my personal choice? And it's someone I rated extremely highly was the sixth pick. The Orlando Magic got Mo Bamba. I'm not talking about, um, you know, the Sheck Wes. Yeah. The Sheck Wes dog. Mo Bamba or Sicko Mode. Um, yeah, uh, could, could you just refrain from the North American accents? Just, uh, it's <laughs> I'm just embarrassing for a man who spent a year in Canada. Let's go. I'm just asking if you want to listen to Mo Bamba or Sicko Mode. Sorry. Let's move. So Mo Bamba, he's played second fiddle, but I feel that's only down to the form of Lucevic. Do you think Bamba will take, will, you know, undergo a big step up next season? Do you think he's still developing off the bench or do you think he's been a bit of a disappointment as the sixth pick? Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because uh, with Vucevic, you've got one of the better defensive players, especially like if you look at plus minus. But uh, just generally, like Vucevic is uh, it's, uh, phenomenal defensively. And I think... Um, I mean, he's an all-star for good reason. Yes, yeah. And I think the only way for both of them to work there, I think if Vucevic went to the four, potentially, because... Um, I don't think you can have somebody with a seven foot eleven wingspan or whatever it is, like a, pre- a bird of prey. Um, like Mo Bamba probably wouldn't be able to play the four. So unless they can make that work, I think uh, Bamba would have to move. But saying that, Kuhn, Bamba's also been injured, I think, for the past like five, six games. And he has got a season-ending injury. Yeah, um, that's true. But even when he was on 
even when he was healthy, he wasn't necessarily putting up the kind of minutes, at least. I mean, his numbers weren't terrible. Yeah. If we um, look at his averages, he shot 48% from the field. Yeah. Um, he was making three-pointers. Um, his free-throw percentage left a lot to be desired. But he did, yes. you know, he, he did have... He did. Ha- he was showing some potential. That was that got him yeah. the sixth round spot. But um, obviously, I think he had like one point four blocks per game. And considering he's playing sixteen minutes, uh, I mean, if if we uh, if we take those up to thirty six minutes a game, that, that's stupid. Um, so, from from me personally, he didn't. I wasn't particularly disappointed all uh, particularly enthused. I expected him to be fantastic defensively and have a lot to work on offensively, but his free throw percentage was around the 60% mark. And traditionally, um, this was something I was going to talk about later, but um, when it comes to free throw percentage, it's one of those very strange statistics where 95% of players only like very gradually improve their free throw percentage across their career. Typically, in the rookie season, you see potentially like their percentage being about 5% lower than their career average. So it's very rare for players to, um, to be able to, say, improve their jump shot or their free throw to such an extent where they would, it would make them like a viable jump shooter or a three-point specialist. So I think, for, yeah, for me personally, Bamba not that disappointed because I didn't really expect a lot from him on that end. That's fair. Um, you were talking about players also who didn't play that many minutes. Um, if we look through the stats, uh, would you say players like um, Harry Giles, uh, players uh, Omari Spellman, uh, players who were picked around, uh, who, who, who have played similar numbers to Mobamba, would you say their disappointments? Um, I mean, they weren't picked very high. uh, Remind me of the second name you said there again. The second name I said? Yeah. uh, Omari Spellman. I have not watched a minute of that man play. Remind me of who he plays for? (laughs) Atlanta. He's fully behind... That's why. He's fully behind sophomore star John Collins, of course. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Um, You tell me, how has he been playing? Um, I think he's been all right. He's shown, a, he's shown a lot of potential. A lot of potential. Um, I do think one player, you, you brought up, of course, Michael Porter Jr. Mm. Of course, person who was picked before him at 13th was Jerome Robinson for the LA yeah. Clippers. And he's made little to no impact throughout this season. Yeah. I'm not sure if as our Western Conference correspondent, you've had a chance to have a look at him. <laughs> um, see... I think uh, that's partly down to... I know he is a shooting guard, but um, he's not a particularly tall shooting guard. But you can say maybe he's more of a combo guard. And looking at somebody who plays... Um, who is playing a lot of minutes for them as a rookie is uh, Shay Gilgis-Alexander, who oh, yeah. oh. has been phenomenal this season. I think he's one of the more underslept um, rookie stories. I've heard very little about him, but... If, I, I, I've heard the opposite. I think he's. I think the stats do not tell the story. Um, okay. If we look at his stats, he averages. He, he starts now. He averages about twenty-seven minutes a game. Yeah. Uh, he scores ten points, three assists, and two rebounds. But if you look at him on the eye, 
He's a player very much like Kyle Lowry in that he brings a lot more than his stats. Yeah, he absolutely. controls the floor. He when he's on it, yeah. their offensive rating is a lot better. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with personality, which is something again I was going to talk about later with a certain player. But um, yeah, I think what the one stat that really sticks out for me is his free throw percentage, eighty percent. And uh, generally, one of the things that is said is um, the free throw percentage is very indicative early on of later three-point percentage success. Three-point so, percentage, you say? Uh, so a three-throw percentage is indicative yeah. of later three-point percentage success. Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, Tell us more about this um, exclusive theory. Exclusive theory? It's an exclusive theory that <laughs> Balling in the Six have, has commissioned, I mean, see, seen by Balling in the Six. about it in terms of uh, when you look at uh, college prospects, so they look at um, how their, say, for example, in college, they're shooting 31%, but their free throw percentage is very high. Um, those type of players tend to translate a lot better to as a three-point shooter in the NBA, as opposed to, if it's the other way around, players who are shooting well from free in college, but who have a low three throw percentage. An example of this being, say, Lonzo Ball shot the three ball phenomenally in college, but even then his free throw percentage was quite poor. And on the flip side, you have Kuzma, who's the opposite, who is, whose three, three throw percentage was very good, but their three point percentage in college, I think with Utah, it was like 31, 32%. And as we can see, he's a very, very good three point shooter now. So, um, yeah, for me, I always look at the free throw percentage with like um, very either. Cost it's interesting. Or it's interesting you go into that actually, because although he is, as you said, shooting eighty percent from the free throw line, mm -hmm. there are actually six players higher than him. A couple of notable inclusions in those: uh, Colin Sexton for the Cavs, yeah. um, shooting eighty-four point six percent. Yeah. Alonzo Trier, who's been pretty good for the Knicks, he's eighty-three yeah. percent. Yeah. And Landry Shamet, who just got traded to Philly, he's shooting 82%. Yeah. Um, and, there were, yeah, I mean, you're right. They are, those players are actually shaping up to be pretty good three-point specialists. Yeah, so. um, with Landry Shamet. Um, he's shooting 41% from three already. Well, maybe, maybe not this season, but I think he should be a, like a nice uh, backup point for Ben Simmons and it gives them that shooting option as well. So, um yeah, we'll see uh, what happens with, with him in the future. Great. So um, from the bad back to the success. Mm. It's been a... So, so I think how we'll do this is we'll go through the... Because oftentimes we see, and inevitably, the players picked first in the draft don't turn out to be the stars of the future. However, this draft has been... Reasonably good for that. Yeah, very top-heavy, this draft. We are looking at players like DeAndre Ayton, who has balled out for the Suns. Mm. Marvin Bagley, who's been excellent for the Kings. And um, I think there's a lot to say about Luka Doncic. It's, I think with Luka, we don't actually need to talk about him for a second. I think, uh, I think the listeners can tell how much uh, we both love Luka. So we don't really need to spend any time on him. The only thing I can say is, Look how look at his rebounds per game. Seven. So with Luca averaging seven rebounds per game, um, for which for a rookie, as you can see by rebounding stats, that's phenomenal, irrespective of position. 
Uh, the fact is, he can do absolutely everything. And the only dilemma I have in my mind is who's better looking, Luca or his mother? That's, that's the only question to be asked of him, I believe. As a great respecter of both men and women, I decline to comment. Okay, that's a very diplomatic answer. Very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I so, think that's yeah, one. Do, I, do you have anything I, to I say about I, Luca or have I summed it up perfectly there? Yeah, I think you've summed it up perfectly. On a, and on your last question, we'll be holding a Twitter poll on that question. Mm. Follow us at Balling in the Six and let us know, let us know your thoughts. Um, I, yeah, I'm not going to give uh, my opinion on it. I, I could talk about it for decades, to be honest. It's a very we know, we know you can. How, to me. How long can you talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. and Trey Young? One, to me, is a little, can I say a little uninspiring? And one is very much like a maverick. A maverick, wow. And unins- that's a very surprising. Trey Young's uninspiring. No, I'd say Jaron Jackson. I mean, um, what? Not uninspiring, but he doesn't. He's not gonna. He's not gonna sell tickets, is he? He's a good big okay, man. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, I see what you mean then. Rudy Gobert and as Cantor kind of, uh, kind of mold. Sorry, they're completely mm. type of players. The Rudy Gobert defensive center kind of mold, especially with all his yeah. blocks, but. No, but I think I think Trey Young um, can go very far in the game, personally. Oh, uh, mate! I've, I've, with Trey Young, uh, there's quite a few things um, I like to talk about. Oh, please. Firstly, please, his defensive plus-minus. I believe at one point it was the worst in the NBA, and I don't think it's particularly improved since then. Um, so, defensively speaking, I don't think he he will always always be a liability on that, and it's not just um, his like average stature as a point guard uh, height wise but his wingspan's very poor um his lateral quickness although like offensively he does have that lateral quickness on the defensive end um it potentially has a factor to do with um the fact that he has to carry the offense at the moment so he's kind of playing the James Harden role of I'm going to take it easy but he does not contest anywhere near enough shots and um he, he struggles very, very much to stay in front of his man. Um, so however good he gets on the offensive end, I don't think he'll ever reach, say, James Harden's standard. And uh, there's a couple of reasons why I think that. But um, I personally think he could be one of those players that's out of the league in five, six seasons. I well, Defensively, he, I don't ever see him improving. Oh, because, I mean, he's not been doing bad. Whether it's mm. on the eye or whether it's stats-wise. Yeah. Shooting, of course, is not great. It's 40% from the field. Although this hasn't yeah. been 46% last few games. Um, yeah. And he averages almost 17 points a game for a tanking Atlanta side. Yeah. So pers- personally, his potential, his ceiling is very high. But as you said, he'll be one of those players where it's quite difficult to reach that offensive ceiling while yeah. in the league while being a defensive liability. Yeah, and I think... Not taking nothing away from his playmaking, I actually believe he's this again. This could be controversial, but I think he's a better playmaker than Luca. Um, yes, I agree. I agree. Phenomenal passer. He's um, when I watch him play, he reminds me very much of Russell in terms of he will always try and make the right pass, even if it's in a very tight window. And that kind of um, mindset it puts so much pressure on the teams defensively, knowing if you slip up even slightly, like. 
uh, that he's going to spot on find his man. So I think, so I say those things about him dropping out of the league. At the same time, I do think, um, so in terms of his shooting, like I think a big reason as to why his three-point shooting is so lackluster. Again, he just doesn't get off the ground. So Steph has Steph has that. Steph um, has a very like low, let's say, bounce when he shoots. But at the same time, Steph's quite uh, tall for a point guard, and he's fantastic at like you know making cuts, and his release is so quick. And I like Trey Young's release is very quick, but typically a lot of the threes he take he takes. If you watch the game, he has to take a lot of them quite deep because. Um, around the three-point line, he just doesn't have that sort of athleticism to get himself open. So, yeah, I, I don't... I Honestly, I don't even know how much he can improve in terms of his three-point shot. Like, he needs to improve athletically, uh, athleticism-wise, I think, to be able to progress there. Great. Well, obviously, one to keep an eye on. Uh, so that's the top five. And, of course, we've discussed a few outside. Are there any other players throughout the draft who have particularly impressed you? It doesn't need to be over overperformers. It just needs to be people who are putting up the numbers and making an impact in the league or at least showing some potential. Um, I wanted to ask what you thought about uh, Marvin Bagley and how he fits into these, that Sacramento-like system of uh, young players. Well, I mean, he's performed extremely well. I think um, while he hasn't necessarily lived up to a top top two draft pick um place. I think he I think I think he's been excellent. I mean I've watched the couple of Sacramento games against Toronto this season and yeah. Bagley Bagley along with players like Fox stood out as one of the yes. kind of young athletic people of one players who will take the this Kings team forward. And I think it would be interesting the Kings have a real possibility obviously to make the playoffs this year. It'd be interesting to see how he survives in that kind of environment, whether he's up against yeah, the likes of Draymond or whoever, whichever elite big man in the playoffs he's up against. Let's see how he survives that because that's a, obviously a test of, of your will, of your nerve, and it's when your true ability shows. That's an excellent point. I think it's, in that case, I think it is a vital for them to just get that early experience since they're all so young. So yeah, there's no, there's, there's no need for them to tank or get try and get an extra draft pick a couple of... Yeah. They've got a great base now to build on. And they believe in their base, as, as we saw with like the Harrison Barnes trade. And, yep. And yep. There were actually reports that New York offered Chris Stapps for one of Fox and Bagley, and they actually turned those offers down. So that's how much belief I think they have in their team. So, um, is this, might be... is this sources close to balling in the six, which say this? Oh, um, are you asking me which sources say it? Yeah. Sources close to balling in the six or are you, did you uh, go to... No, I mean, uh, is a very... yeah, it just, it just came down the grapevine, you know? Um, I mean, that, that's uh, on this podcast. People, you get, you get things that even Wodge doesn't report. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think Wodge has been, talking about what he's been slacking hasn't he i mean um if like kamel just said if you want that inside scoop i think we all know where to come but um yeah in terms of uh marvin bagley actually one thing that does um confuse me a little bit is his jumper looks so smooth like from the three throw line um from three like 
he looks like like from the eye test, it looks very good. So I'm I'm a bit confused as to why he's he doesn't shoot terribly from free or from a free throw line. But um when you look at say his jumper versus DeAndre Ayton's jumper, DeAndre Ayton this season he's taken virtually zero threes, but he is shooting very well from the free throw line. Um just looking at it, you'd think Marvin Bagley's a much better shooter, but I think uh if he does sort that out with his athleticism, I think he honestly has the most potential in the draft, even more so than Luca. Like he can become a top five uh, player in the NBA, certainly Marvin Bagley. So it really all comes down to if he can just be more consistent with the jumper. Because uh, technically speaking, I can't see that there's many flaws with it. It's very smooth. Like he's a lefty as well. Looks it's very nice on the eye. Fair. Fair enough. Well, personally, I've noticed two players in particular. I think Colin Sexton, although he underwhelmed at the start of the season, I think then he's had a very good February. He has, yeah. Uh, he's averaging over 21 points a game and he's leading the tanking Cavs to their last couple of wins, which is always nice to see. I, always, yeah. I also think that uh, Mitchell Robinson deserves a shout out here. He was, of course, only picked 36 by the Knicks, but mm. he takes us all back to our Legoland days, a.k.a. <laughs> City. Very good. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Sexton's mentality. I don't know about you. He, he puts 110% every night, I think. Because there's a lot, there was, of course, a lot of pressure on him. This was the pick that Cleveland were hoping could... <laughs> Go some way to replacing oh, LeBron, of course, and they yeah, of course they were going to make the playoffs, weren't they? After LeBron, they, left, were, so. they were they were hoping, of course, with players like Love Thompson, even Jr. When he's on form, they were hope Larry Nance. They were hoping that they might, and Kyle Korver, of course, who they traded, they might yeah. be hoping that you know they could have made a run for it. And of course, in the East, it's not too difficult to make eighth place. Yeah. I think it's what four or five games under, or two or three games under five hundred. The eight seed now. Oh yeah, it's um, it's it's much 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 easier in the east. It's depressing, to be honest. It's very depressing. Yeah, I'm, I'm still on that east east Eastern Conference hype. I st- I think we'll recover. <laughs> Bro, Brooklyn Nets are actually no man's land. I think they're like something like ten or nine games behind the fifth seed. Um, which is either Boston or... Yeah, I think it's Boston at the moment. Yeah, and then they are about four games in front of the sixth seed. Or just... Oh, no. So they're, um, they're sixth. They're currently 7.5 games behind the 76ers in fifth. But they're only yeah. a couple of games ahead of uh, the Hornets and the Pistons in seventh and eighth. But uh, yeah. of the uh, recent... They're, they're, again, we've said it last week, the Nets' recent form has just catapulted them from the lottery team right into the midst of the playoffs. And I don't think any of the Eastern top five will want to face. Again, like the Kings, the Nets have a fantastic young side. People mm. like Allen, uh, even Kuroks, who if we link it back mm. to, the, he was drafted quite low, but he's been very good. Yeah. Kuroks, um, I mean, I'm not sure if you saw the Nets against Raptors game, which I discussed in the first half of the podcast. Yeah. Raptors shot seven threes. Seven from eight wow. from the line. Eight. Yeah. So, I mean, they're impressing. And, of course, the thing about the Nets is they never stop fighting. I'm not sure why on a Raptors podcast I'd end with Nets praise. I'll probably get some abuse for this. <laughs> but that is where we'll end. Yeah. 
Thank you uh, for, thank you very much for having these rookies. Yes, and um, you know, maybe I was a bit harsh on them, but as a fellow rookie myself, um, I think we need to you know, look at each other with a critical eye. And I hope one day they'll break down my film and tell me all the ways that I'm going wrong. So I'm sure they will. And, and when they do, Balling in the Six will be the first on it. Thank you. <laughs> Again. Cheers, man. Bye. Bye.